This audio download is the extended version of the Family Life Today radio program. Your download is made possible by Family Life Legacy Partners. And welcome to Family Life Today. Thanks for joining us on the Tuesday edition of the broadcast. And today we're doing something a little different. We're uh, broadcasting from outdoors here on the Montana Prairie. It's beautiful out here. It is beautiful. Big sky country. <laughs> That's right. We've got Man, the, the grass is so green. It's fresh. Ah, kind of warm. Oh. What's that? What was that, Bob? There. Did you hear that? I do hear that. Bob, the ground's shaking. There's a little bit of a... I feel... Feel it? Uh-huh. It's it's coming. Look over on the on the, on the horizon. Bob, it's a bunch of them. It's, it's the herd. <laughs> that was kind of fun. We well, survived the, the buffalo stampede here. I'm not sure we'll survive the teenage stampede. Oh, man. <laughs> it lasts a lot longer. It yeah, does. It sure does. We are uh, talking this week on the broadcast about some of the traps that are laid for teenagers, some of the, the deadlier traps that are, are uh, laid for young people as they go through the teenage years. And one of the traps that they face is the trap of the herd. It's the trap of peer pressure, Dennis. You know, Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 26 says, Among my people are wicked men who lie in wait like men who snare birds and those who set traps to catch men. Mm. That's peers. Mm -hmm. Evil peer pressure can snare our children and can ruin their lives. You know, Barbara, everywhere you look and listen and read and watch, you hear about peer pressure and its influence. And yet it's almost like we've heard so much about it that we've forgotten that it's real and we're not sure how to define it or what to do with it. Uh, From a mom's standpoint, practically, what are the issues around peer pressure that are real issues for our families? To me, the big issue for peer pressure is for mom and dad to stay involved. You need to know who the kids are that your child is hanging out with, mm-hmm. who their friends are, mm-hmm. and you need to be watching how those friends of your child are beginning to change. Because all of our kids, as they move from elementary school and those those uh, early years of when they still like mom and dad, and they but they move into junior high, all of our kids are going to change in some way or another. And we can't assume as parents that the kids that our children have been friends with since kindergarten, first grade, second grade, are still going to be the same kind of influence, the same kind of child in junior high and high school that our child is going to be. We can't assume that they're going to have the same value system, the same convictions, the same beliefs. Uh, We've seen it with all of our kids that some of the children that they've grown up with have taken a different fork in the road in junior high, Mm -hmm. and that friendship changes. And if parents assume that those kids are going to just be the same kids, Mm -hmm. then we get blindsided. You know, in that passage I read in Jeremiah chapter 5, it says, among my people are evil men. Mm -hmm. And this is the most difficult form of peer pressure to anticipate and to manage because our children move into adolescence, many of them with Christian friends. And occasionally, the most dangerous form of peer pressure will not come from the non-Christian audience. It'll come from the youth group and from from children who have been on the right path Mm -hmm. until they hit 13, 14, or 15. And all of a sudden, they steer down the wrong path, and they begin to take a group with them. In fact, in my opinion, there's a larger group 
in in most youth groups heading down that path than there is uh, down the path to, to righteousness and following Jesus Christ. And as parents, Barbara and I have spent a great deal of time being very careful, analyzing who are our children hanging out with, what's their spiritual condition, where are they headed, and um, constantly monitoring who our children's friends are. The bad kids are kind of obvious even to our teenagers. Mm -hmm. It's the good kids who are starting to dabble in some bad things that can be the ones who pull our kids off into the ditch with them. Exactly, and it's important for our children – to know when it's okay to run with the herd and what kind of herd they can run with and when it's time for them to graze alone. Paul warned in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, he said, Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. All of our children have memorized that verse prior to going into adolescence because they have to understand that peers are going to influence them either for good or for evil. You illustrate this principle in a really powerful way with your sixth grade Sunday school class that you taught for many years. How'd you do it? Well, I brought a a shiny apple into class, and I said that this apple is about to fall under peer pressure. And one time, Bob, I found an apple that was huge. The thing was bigger than a softball. It it (laughs) almost looked like a small cantaloupe. It was huge, big ruby red polished apple, and I let it spend some time with a couple of buddies. And Mm -hmm. these two buddies were bad apples, and they had bruises on them. And uh, to make sure that the experiment worked, I'd actually bounced them off the floor a couple of times. So these were truly bad apples, okay? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I actually hid the, the bruises from my sixth grade Sunday school class to make the point of saying, you know, you can't always trust what you see is true. Uh, And I held up a side that didn't have the bruise, and I said, these two are really bad apples. And then I slowly turned them around, and the children then could see that they really did have a a rotten spot on them. Mm -hmm. And I said, we're going to let this good apple spend some time with these two bad buddies, and we're going to see what happens as the good apple falls under the influence of these two bad apples. And we put them in a plastic baggie that's sealed, and put them in a paper sack and left them in a closet for about six months. They hibernated, right? They did. In fact, over the following months, the the sixth grade class would be saying, how are our buddies doing? I said, well, I've been checking on them. They're they're spending time, and Mm -hmm. you need to to know it's it's not pretty. It really isn't pretty. (laughs) And then on one of the final class days, I would invite one of the sixth graders to come up front. He would reach into the paper sack and pull out this plastic baggie that contained this form of uh, rotten, putrid apple soup. Ugh. And there weren't three apples in there. Mm-mm. There was nothing distinguishable that you would recognize as an apple. Mm. And of course, my point to those children is that Paul's admonition in 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty three: you are either going to influence people or you are going to be influenced for evil. And if you spend time with the wrong person, no matter if you're a teenager or an adult, You're going to become like those that uh, you make your friendships with. Barbara, as Dennis was talking about the apples that look good from one side but have some hidden bruises, I was reminded of Eddie Haskell. You remember him on Leave it to Beaver? He was the young man who'd always come over and say, hello, Mrs. Cleaver. How nice you look today. (laughs) Then when he'd get up to Wally's room, it was always a different story, and he'd start talking slang, and he was rude and disrespectful. Parents have got to be alert to 
what's going on with these kids. We've got to look all around the apple and see as much as we can, don't we? Yeah, because some kids are really smart, and they know how to do that. They know Mm -hmm. how to look good when they have to look good, but when they're off on their own, they will do what they want to do. And I think there are a couple of things that parents need to be aware of as you uh, evaluate the kids that your child is spending time with. And one of them is that sometimes these peers will ridicule what your standards are. They will make fun of them or they will belittle them or they will arrogantly tear down what you're trying to do with your child. Yeah, and I've got to underscore this one because I think the tendency is to look at a child like uh, he is Eddie Haskell Mm -hmm. and that he can't do any damage or any harm. I think a parent needs to be very careful of assuming too much about the peers that your children run around with. Don't assume that they stand for the same standards that uh, you represent in your family. In fact, Barbara and I have have probably come to the point where we don't assume that about any of the of the children until we get to know them. Mm-hmm. After we get to know them, we get to know their families, where they come from, and who they are. At that point, we'll begin to, to give them the benefit of the doubt. It's almost like any parent of a teenager ought to begin with a, a basic, this is going to sound horrible, Bob, but mm-hmm. a basic mistrust of peers. Why? Because they will arrogantly and flagrantly ridicule the standards and values that you're attempting to teach your child at home, just mm-hmm. what Barbara said. They'll do it frontally. They'll do it subtly. They'll come at your child in different ways, tempting him to step to the left or to the right. But most children, even Christian kids, are not going to step in alongside your teenager and say, you know, it's really wise that your parents grounded you from going out on dates because of that mistake you made last week. That no, has never happened. That has never happened. But we have had great Christian kids, I mean from great Christian homes, come in and say, your parents have grounded you from going to youth group? Mm-hmm. Your parents have grounded you from God? Mm-hmm. Man, your parents are, I don't know about them, mm-hmm. about their values. Now, mm-hmm. now Bob, these are from, from kids of great Christian homes. They don't understand what a parent is up to and what a parent's trying to do in providing those boundaries and convictions around that child. Barbara, they may also encourage our children to uh, do things that mom and dad will never find out about, right? Yeah, and that that's historically true with peers. I mean, that's been going on for, for centuries. But the classic line that our kids have heard over and over again is, your parents will never find out. Mm-hmm. And our kids have all had friends tell them that over different things. Like Rebecca came home and was talking about our high school baseball team and their first opening game that she was wanting to go to. And we had looked at her whole week and together we had decided that she didn't need to do that because we had so many other things going on that week and she could maybe go to a game the following week. And at school, she was telling some of the guys on the team, well, I'm not going to go. And they said, well, why aren't you going to go? Well, my parents and I decided it wouldn't be a good idea. And they said, well, They'll never know. Just go. Mm-hmm. It didn't going to hurt. Just go to the game anyway. Do it anyway. Mm-hmm. I mean, over and over and over again, our kids have had friends tell them, your parents will never find out. Just do it anyway. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, the caution lights go on between mom and dad, and we begin to closely monitor those friendships and, and at the same time begin to guard our children from, from spending too much time from other teenagers who would encourage our son or daughter to disobey us. Mm-hmm. Now think about that. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a no-brainer. But some parents uh, 
would watch that happen and would not think that they have the right to step into that child's life to begin to uh, curb the amount of time that teenager spends with that child. Which is one of the convictions that you talk about in the in your book. You say that parents have a legitimate right to exercise influence and control even over who your kids are spending time with. Yeah, I want to read something from our book right here. You are the parent. Realize that maintaining control of those who influence your children is within the bounds of your authority as a parent. Did you hear that? (laughs) (laughs) It's your responsibility. You're in charge. Nobody else. Your child's not in charge. The peers are not in charge. The principal's not in charge. The youth pastor's not in charge. God gave children to you. Mm -hmm. He gave them to us. But there's some kind of complex equation that takes place in the chemistry of a teenager and and a parent of a teenager where a parent begins to abdicate their responsibility and, I might add, their authority, and they give it over to the child. And then they wonder years later why the child went off in the wrong direction. Well, here's what happens, Barbara. A teenager comes and there's some discussion and finally the teenager says, well, don't I have the right? to choose who my own friends are going to be? Don't I even have the right to decide who I I can hang around with? Mm -hmm. And as a parent, you say, no. Yeah, and you sound horrible saying no. you got to sound strong saying no. You can't 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 go, no? (laughs) Your own voice can't change like a teenager's. (laughs) You know, you got to go, that's right. Call her bluff. And and inside you may go, oh. I'm not sure about this. I'm going to lose them. They're going to run away. They're going to become a prodigal. They're out of here. They're going to, you know. But the whole goal is shaping, though, their ability to choose friends wisely. It's not so much that you're coming down heavy-handed and going, no, you have no right to make your own friends. Your mom and dad are going to do that for you. That's that's not the issue. The issue is, is that you're training them. You're guiding them. You're helping them understand how to choose a good friend and how to be a good friend. And that takes a lot of time. And the context for that is one of the other convictions you talk about in the book, the relationship that must be in place. Because without the relationship, if you start saying, no, you can't choose your own friends, they check out from you Mm -hmm. and they'll just sneak around and do it whether you like it or not. Yeah, that's Mm -hmm. right. The quality of the relationship that you have with your child will be a determining factor of how significant peer pressure is on your child's life. Did you hear that? It doesn't mean you'll prevent it. I'm just saying if you've got a quality relationship, if your heart is connected to your child, you're going to know what's going on. Your child will know that you know what's going Mm -hmm. on. You'll be in it together. There may be times when they slip away and they've, they've done something, but you can go get that child through that relationship. If that relationship is not in place, you don't have any ability to go get that child and pull them away from peer pressure. Mm -hmm. What's your ability to preach? I'm going to tell you something. We've got relationships with all of our teenagers, and they still don't like our sermons. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they say, oh, here it comes again, Dad. You know, It's almost like they pull out their church bulletins. Here's Dad's sermon again this week. I've heard your sermons, Dad. Even with those relationships in place, Mm -hmm. they don't want to hear those sermons. But you know what? With the relationship in place, it makes the possibility of them hearing that sermon a reality. You know, as we talk about peer pressure, we talk about it almost exclusively in its negative sense. Those folks Mm -hmm. who yank our kids in the wrong direction, 
one of the, the great things that you all talk about is the power of positive peer pressure. This is where parents can really turn peer pressure and make it their ally instead of their enemy. Yeah, and I think a lot of parents aren't aware that that's a possibility because what happens is when they're not involved, then the kids are going to gravitate toward negative peer pressure. I mean, that's just going to be the human nature of the situation. They're just going to go that way. But if you're involved and you're teaching your child how to develop good friendships, how to be a good friend, and then you steer him or her toward Mm -hmm. kids that you know are going to be good kids, kids that are going to be a good influence, and you sort of help cultivate that relationship, make time for it, have those kids over to your house and help develop that and teach your child how to keep that going, then you can use that for good in your child's life. So it doesn't have to be negative. Uh, it can be positive if parents are proactive about it. When Ashley was uh, 13 or 14, she uh, came home from school one day and, and she described what she was feeling like as a young person. She said, uh, Mom, Dad, it's as though um, I'm standing on a wall and my friends are all at the base of the wall and they picked up stones to throw at me to try to knock me off the wall. Wow. And I think what you need to do with your teenager is to – uh, help them find some friends to get up on the wall with her mm-hmm. or with him. And it's interesting. Our oldest three went through junior high and high school alone. They were terribly alone on that wall. and But they did have each other. And I do think that made a difference because they, even though they were alone without peer relationships from other kids – they were pretty much in school together, and they knew that they had somebody else mm-hmm. that was there with them. Mm-hmm. Well, they also had mom and dad cheering right. them on in the background exactly. saying, way to go, so yeah. that when they took courageous stands, at least home was a place they could come to mm-hmm. where they knew they were going to get some positive reinforcement right. for yeah, that. Right. Exactly, and when Ashley told that story of how she felt, we just cheered her. I mean, way to go, Ashley. Don't let them knock you off. Stand strong. And – you know, as human beings, we need people who are for us. We need people who recognize when we do something right. One of our other teenagers has told us repeatedly, you know, I just feel like such a failure as a teenager. And when it comes to peers and um, being a teenager, our teens make a lot of dumb choices. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they choose some wrong things. And it's easy as a parent to constantly be on them for the mistakes they're making and not appropriately be for them and the right choices they're making and cheering them on to the objective. Barbara, one of the very practical things that you've done with your children to help prepare them for maybe standing alone is the decide in advance game. Tell me how that's played. Well, it it can be um, used in lots of different situations. But for peer pressure, for instance, it would be a situation where I've done this with all of our kids as, as they have exited sixth grade and entered into junior high. Um, And I've said to all of them, now, you know, as you go through these next couple of years, some of the kids that you've been friends with since second grade and third grade are going to begin to change. And they will choose some wrong paths, some things that our family doesn't stand for. And I want you to be watching for that so that when it happens, you'll be not caught off guard by it. Mm -hmm. And you'll see it coming and you won't get sucked into making those wrong choices, too. So it's the idea of of thinking through some situations in advance and helping them know that there are going to be some problems ahead and what are you going to do about it when it happens. And taking it a step further, it could be what are you going to do if you're over at a friend's house and uh, they put a movie in that you don't think we would approve of? How are you going to handle that? 
Or what if you're at the mall and you see some kids that are thinking about shoplifting? You can tell just by what the way they're talking and what they're doing that they're thinking about that. How are you going to handle that? What are you going to do? Or cheating in school. What are you going to do if uh, someone says, can I see your answers to the test? I mean, there are just multiple things like that that kids are going to face in greater numbers in junior high and high school than they ever faced before. And helping them decide in advance what they're going to do about it is a great step in preparing them to handle it right. It really is. And it comes from Daniel chapter 1 where it talks about how Daniel made up his mind in advance not to defile himself by eating the king's food. In other words, he walked into the banquet having already decided what he was going to do Mm -hmm. in advance of the choice. And I think personally... This whole idea of parents having their own convictions and then implanting those convictions in their children, helping that child decide what he or she will do before they face the situation, I believe, Bob, is one of the absolute keys in helping our children survive adolescence. Years after you had done the bad apple illustration for one of your classes, you had a student come back and and talk about how that vivid illustration Uh, helped her stay out of the ditch. Yeah, Sarah was uh, 16 or 17 and evidently was facing some pretty challenging days of peer pressure. And one afternoon when the power was out because of a thunderstorm that had rolled through, uh, this young teenage girl and her mom were uh, lying on the bed just talking to each other. The mom relayed this story to me later that Sarah turned to her and said, you know, Mom, there's all kinds of pressure on me right now by peers But all I can think about are apples, Mr. Rainey's apples, Hmm. and what happened to those apples when they gave in to the bad buddies. That little object lesson was used by the Spirit of God in that, that girl's mind to remind her to do what was right and to talk to her mom about that during a crucial period where she was having to decide either to do what's right or to move in the direction of peer pressure. It helped her do what was right. And, and Bob, I think that's our role as parents. We need to step in there and illustrate these principles, call our children to the right choices, and then keep calling them back to those choices. It's not a one-time lesson where you teach it once and then you back off. It's over and over and over again. The repetitive side of parenting is the exhaustive side of parenting, but it's where the real gains are made. And I just want to come alongside that mom and dad right now, single parent, maybe even a grandparent who's helping to raise a child and just say to you, hang in there. Don't give in to uh, your child's peer pressure yourself. You've got to stand strong so you can help your child through some dangerous territory that has traps that uh, will seek to ensnare your child and uh, take them toward destruction. Thanks for listening to Family Life Today. For more downloadable audio programs or other resources, visit our website at familylife.com.